Welcome to the Radiant Visalia podcast. Join us at one of our two services, 9 a.m. and 1045 a.m. Download the Church Center app or visit our website, radiantvisalia.com, to stay connected with us. All right, enjoy. Morning. Everybody all right? Good. Um, my name is uh, Travis, and I'm the lead pastor here. I usually say that I am uh, one of the pastors here, and I don't say that I'm the lead pastor here, uh, but this morning I feel uh, threatened. So I just want to establish this morning <laughs> that I am the lead pastor. The, the reason I, I feel threatened is because Jared spoke last week and did a heck of a job. And I felt some hostility as he spoke about hospitality. I was like, is this about hospitality or hostility? Because I feel kind of hostile towards you right now. It, there was a point where I usually sit in the front uh, row. It's where I sit. I'm the lead pastor. And, and uh, I usually, you know, in your mind, you're kind of like, you know, I, you're coaching, but I'm not talking to Jared. I'm like trying to, like in a Jedi mind trick, try to get him to go in certain directions and taking notes um, so I can give him feedback and being a coach, and then all of a sudden, I felt like the Holy Spirit started to coach me, and I was like, I'm getting real convicted here. The Holy Spirit started to do his Jedi mind tricks on me, and so you'll notice that Jared is not speaking this week, and uh, that's for, uh, that's because I got convicted last week, and um, I also need to keep my job here, five kids to feed. And, um, but I'm going to steep myself in the God reality that he's going to provide for me, even if Jared takes my job. Um, we're going to talk about worship uh, this morning as we talk about fundamentals and what is essential here. And I don't know about you guys, but um, I think September marks the beginning of the year more so than January. I just, the way I relate to the year is like it's a school year. And so we thought it'd be a great opportunity to just remind people of the fundamentals, the the stuff that we're going to do day in, day out, the stuff that you really can't forget to do with all the partying, with all the packing, with all the team casseroling, with all the activity that's now happening in your life. You can't forget to do these things. And so this morning I'm going to talk about... um, Worship. And I, I was thinking ab- about this. Uh, and the truth is, here at Radiant, we, we don't have a worship pastor. Maybe some of you have come from churches where there was a worship pastor. And as I started to think about it, I started to think, well, every pastor is a worship pastor. Every pastor is a worship pastor. Because every problem seems to be a worship problem. It really is. People have misplaced their worship. They're stuck on the wrong things. And what we do as pastors is help enroll them into the reality that God alone should be glorified. You're making too much of yourself. You're making too much of the situation. You're thinking too much about this or that. Guide your affections, point your direction, move your attention towards God, towards what He's doing. It's what we do every week. So, instead of being the lead pastor, I'm now the lead worship pastor. Jared's a worship pastor. Mark's a worship pastor. The worship pastors from now on. Just decided. If you have a Bible, you can open it up to Romans chapter 11. Romans is in your New Testament. It's pretty close to right after the Gospels. Those are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and and John. 
If you hit some normal names, you're getting close. Keep going. Romans, Romans, I'm not going to lie, is a, is a tough read. Anybody embarked on Romans? It reads like a legal document. And it's not necessarily an easy read. And so we typically gravitate towards the later chapters in Romans because they're a little bit easier to understand. But the beginning of Romans is all about what God has done. This is what God has done. This is what God has done. Ten chapters of this is what God has done. This is what God has done. And then towards the end of the book, it starts to turn. Now, what do we do in light of what God has done? So we tend to gravitate away from what God has done and towards what we're going to do, which is unfortunate because we can't do these things until we grasp what God has done. And so Paul is just spelling it out. This is what God has done. And we turn a corner and it's like, this is how you should respond in view of God's mercy. This is what you should do. This is what God has done And in view of what God has done, this is how you should respond. We'll start in verse 33 of Romans um, chapter 11, where Paul just starts to, he just breaks out. And uh, he's been going on and on about what God has done, and he just erupts in worship. And he says in verse 33, oh, the depth of the riches of and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been His counselor? Or who's given a gift to Him that He might be repaid? I love the permission I get in Scripture to be sarcastic. Who has given a gift to Him that He might be repaid? Answer, no one. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. And he moves on. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Keep going with me. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us Use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And then he goes on. Let love be genuine, or as some of your translations say, sincere. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. And as Jared reminded us last week, seek to show hospitality. The way we walk out this charge, this call, this command to be hospitable is to first present ourselves to the Lord. 
which is our spiritual act of worship. Hospitality is one, one of the things that flows from a life that has been presented to God. A life that's been offered to Him. So, I'd like to make just a few points about our worship, and then we're actually going to join back together in song. But my desire this morning is to put us all on the same page. I know some of you have not been a part of a church before, and Radiant is the first church you've ever been a part of. Some of you came from other churches that express or do worship differently than we do. My desire is to bring us together in an understanding of worship and how it's going to work itself out in life here in the body. So I've prepared a couple of statements um, where I, I want to say that worship involves all of us. Worship involves all of us because we're all worshipers. Worship involves all of us because we're all worshipers. Worship is fundamental to life. Period. Notice that I did not say worship is fundamental to Christian life. Worship is not reserved for religious people who go to certain places at a certain time on a Sunday. We're all worshiping. You can't opt out of this. I'm so sorry. You're a worshiper. No, 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 I opted out. I didn't sing those songs. No, you didn't opt out of worship. You were doing it. No, 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 but I didn't stand and I didn't clap and I don't plan to stand and I don't plan to clap even when we go back into worship. I've decided to opt out. No, you haven't opted out. We're all doing it all the time. We're all making decisions because we're limited in our time and in our resources. We're limited. And so we're constantly voting. We're constantly ascribing value to things. We're constantly declaring things worth it or not worth it, depending on how we spend our time and treasure and talent. We're constantly voting, and when we vote and say this is worth it, we're worshiping. And so this morning, if you came in and you decided, I'm going to opt out of worship, I don't feel like singing singing these overstatements. I don't feel like standing up and saying these things. I don't believe this to, to be true, and I don't feel this way. What you've done is you've made yourself the weightiest thing in your life. You've made yourself the organizing center. And you are, in fact, worshiping. But what matters to you, what matters to most, is yourself and the way that you feel. So we never opt out of worship. We're all worshipers. Back to this passage in Romans, because I think it gives us a pretty great understanding of what worship is. Paul says, For from Him, and through Him, and for Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. I want to help you understand what worship is by pointing out what a well-known pastor pointed out to me. And I want to, I want to go off of these words of glory, dedication, and sacrifice to help you understand that we're all doing this all the time. How many of you in worship have said this word, glory? Glory to God. Glory in the highest. What does that mean? Uh, glory, glory. Hallelujah. To God be the glory, all honor and glory. What is glory? Well, glory implies weight. The things that we glory in are the weightiest things in our life. And the weightiest things in our life become something of an organizing center. Where we say that literally this is the most important thing. It weighs the most in our lives. It tips 
the scales. So we're worshiping when we glory in something. And everyone is glorying in something or someone. You can put just about anything in that place and make it the weightiest thing in your life. You can put, um, come on, you can put sex in that place. You can put an experience in that place. You can put a person in that place. You can put what people think in that place. You can put yourself in that place. And you make that thing the weightiest thing about you. It's the heaviest thing. And then what happens from there, once we've gloried in something, is that we devote ourselves to it, or the way Paul phrases it here, we present ourselves to that thing. We offer ourselves to the weightiest things in our lives. We offer ourselves to the thing that is most important. We become devoted, right? You buy the shirt, you get the sticker, you get a minivan, whatever you need to do, you devote yourself to the weightiest thing in your life, and then you make sacrifices to it. So here's how this works. You may have uh, put your career, and it is, it's literally the weightiest thing in your life. And you're devoted to it, and you've given yourself over to your career, and then you make sacrifices for it. And I probably don't need to explain to you what's being sacrificed in order for you to worship your career, but I can guess that your relationships are suffering. I can guess that there are things on the altar that are being sacrificed in order to keep your career as the weightiest thing in your life. There might be a person that you've put in that place. There might be an experience that you've put in that place. And now you're devoted to it and you're making sacrifices in order to worship. We're constantly doing this all the time. I I don't need to tell you uh, this morning because, you know, football season is just a couple weeks away. You understand that those stadiums are filled with worshipers, right? You understand that these are people who've made that team or the experience that they have in cheering for that team, the weightiest thing in their lives. They're devoted. I mean, the last time the Cubs were in L.A. for the NLDS, I paid like $250 to watch my team lose and get pushed by Raider Nation in Dodger jerseys. And I was thinking to myself, why do I do this? Why do I do this? Why did I come here? Why do I have this hat on? Why am I being pushed, cursed at? I paid for this. I paid $13 for that beer. I paid $10 for that soda. What am I doing? I'm worshiping. We're doing it all the time. This is weighty. I'm devoted to it. And I'm making sacrifices to be a part of it or to worship. So we're all worshiping. We're all doing it. Sorry, I I wish I could tell you that this is an issue of if, or, uh, you know, it, you know, kind of like the, the call, the call always is when you start worship, will you worship? And it's really not a question of if or will you worship. The question is who or what are you worshiping? You will spend your whole time during our worship service worshiping something, putting something in that place, being devoted to your, maybe the story that you're telling yourself. Everybody Clear? Worship involves us all because we're all worshipers. You're in, even if you don't believe in Jesus. You're with us. We agree. So the second point I want to make is that worship involves all of us. Because biblical patterns of worship include all aspects of the human personality. Worship involves all of us because biblical patterns of worship include all aspects of the human personality. In Romans, we're told to worship God with everything we've got. Present yourselves. Don't present your songs. Don't present your tithe. Don't present a couple hours on a Sunday. Bring yourself to the table. Present yourself. All aspects of who you are come to the task of worshiping. Jesus gave us this command 
In the weeks past, we've been talking about this great commission that God gave us. And this morning, I really want to talk about the great commandment. It's fundamental that we love the Lord our God. And he didn't leave it there. Love God. No, he said, love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And what he's saying is, come to the table with everything you've got. And our desire is to, in the place of worship, glorify God by fulfilling the great commandment and loving God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. My experience is that people are usually okay with a couple of these things. Like they're batting two for four. And they think that's a pretty good average. But Jesus commands us, calls us to the place of batting a thousand. The call is to go four for four. And so my experience is that some people are okay. You know, when I say all aspects of our human, our personalities, I'm talking about spiritually, intellectually, physically, and emotionally loving God. With everything we've got, physically, emotionally, intellectually, spiritually, bringing everything we've got to the table. Which one of those are you most uncomfortable with? Where do you go, I'm doing this, comfortable with this, that's a stretch for me. I find that most people understand worship, they understand that they're loving God with their souls. They understand that this is a spiritual exchange, because God is spirit, we're going to connect with Him in our spirits The word spirit and soul are used interchangeably in Scripture. Everyone understands this to be a spiritual experience and a spiritual exchange. Part of this is because Jesus told a woman at a well, true worshipers are going to worship in spirit and they're going to worship in truth. You've read that passage before. And most people are okay and understand that this is something that involves our intellect. That we are to love God with our minds. That it's very important that we see God for who He really is. We understand who He really is. And then respond appropriately to that in worship. So I find that most people are like, yeah, spirit and truth. We worship in spirit and truth. We love God with our souls. And we love God with our minds. But here's where I lose people. When I invite you to love God with all your heart, that is your emotions... And when I tell you to love God with all your strength, that is the physical part of who you are. When worship gets emotional and physical, we check out. Am I right? It starts to get really uncomfortable when you're with, around somebody whose love, their their emotions are bubbling over. Their love for the Lord is very apparent. They're becoming emotional. Their love, their desire to worship God is becoming physical, you know? They're actually starting to move around or be demonstrative in their worship. It's just like, oh my goodness, it's out of control. So here's the deal. The call is not to go two for four. The call is to go four for four. You present yourself. All aspects of your human personality. The physical the emotional, the spirit, the intellectual. You bring it all to the table in worship. Worship involves all of us. All of us. So I want to make a case for your affections in the place of worship. Because I think some of what we're reaping is the result of some teaching that has, in some ways, well, I I would say in many ways, it's just told you that your emotions don't matter. You know, you remember the train that you were presented where out in front is fact, and then the next cart back is faith, and then the one bringing up the rear is your feelings. We all know you can't be led by or guided by your feelings. And so the church has worked really hard to say that your feelings aren't everything. But in the process, I think they've said your feelings are nothing. 
And your emotions, your feelings, your love for the Lord coming from your heart matters. It's not everything. You can't be jerked around by it. But it's not nothing. And I'll make my case by pointing at the church in Ephesus. This church gets huge attention in uh, Scripture. This church, they think, planted 400 other churches. This church has an all-star staff. Radiant Church has an all-star staff. And we read our Bibles. The church in Ephesus, their staff wrote your Bibles. They have an all-star staff at this church. They have a miraculous start. If you want to read about how the church in Ephesus started, you can read Acts 18 and 19. But it's, it's, it's unprecedented even in Scripture what happens to launch this church. All of Asia Minor has heard the Gospel in two years because of the revival that broke out in Ephesus. Unreal start to this church. Unreal staff. This church is experiencing what few churches have ever experienced. That's what's going on. But then a little ways down the line, Jesus has a message for this church. And we read about this message that Jesus has for the church in Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2. And Jesus has this to say to this church that had a miraculous start and an all-star staff. He says this, To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, The words of Him who holds the seven stars in His right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. That's Jesus. I know you're thinking, why didn't they just write Jesus? Holds the seven stars in His right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. And this is the message that Jesus has for this church. Maybe this is the message that Jesus has for our church. Maybe this is the message that Jesus has for you. I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake. And you've not grown weary. So let's just stop there and praise what Jesus is praising and applaud what Jesus is applauding. And here's what's happening in Ephesus. They're enduring patiently. Not only are they just getting through it, they're looking good as they do it. Some of of you have endured, but that's because you, you just don't have a choice. You would have opted out a long time ago. This group is patiently enduring This is an incredibly faithful bunch. Incredibly faithful bunch enduring patiently. Here's what else they've got going. It's important. It's not not important. They have rock solid theology. They can spot a guy a mile away who's coming their way with some nonsense. And they won't have anything to do with it. Here is a church that has rock solid theology. They've endured patiently, but here it comes, right? The butt. The sandwich. But, I have this against you. You've abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Help me here, because I think what's being communicated to this church is that you've been incredibly faithful, you have rock-solid theology, and unless you repent and begin to love me the way you loved me at first, I'll unplug the whole thing. I'll put this church out. I don't know about you guys, Your affections and your emotions, your feelings towards God, your love for Him, it's not everything, but it's not nothing. And there's a role that your affections play in the place of worship. It's not enough to be faithful. It's not enough just to persevere. 
Oh, I keep coming week after week. It's not enough to have sound doctrine. We must have love and affection in our hearts for Him. We must have it. It's not optional. We're not talking about two for four here. You have to love God with all your heart. Your feelings, your affections matter to Him. They're not everything, but they're not nothing. If you're in a place this morning where this is resonating for you and you're thinking, yeah, this is true, man, I've, I've persevered, I've kept trucking, and I know all the right things to say, but there's something going on with my affections, I would encourage you to read Acts 18 and 19 and ask the million dollar question, what did they do at first? What the heck was this church doing at first that if they didn't get back to doing it, Jesus was going to stop the whole thing? If that's where you're at, please read Acts 18, 19. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you what this church did at first. And you get back to doing what you did at first. All right. Worship the Lord with all your strength. That we physically demonstrate our worship to Him. I know. Out of bounds. There are a ton of different expressions of worship in Scripture. Biblical patterns of worship involve you worshiping the Lord physically. Like you actually move when you do it. Usually the expressions or the how we worship is based on who we worship. And what God is revealing to us. What He's saying to us. So there's appropriate responses to who we're seeing. Right? When we sit in silence before the Lord, we're seeing something about God. And it's an appropriate response. When we dance, we're seeing something about God and it's a response to who He is and what He's revealing to us. Our shouts are a response to something He's showing us about Himself and about what He's done. So it's always a response. If you're interested in looking up these different responses, I'll put my notes on the city. Um, So I'll move quickly through these things. But I want you to know that A biblical pattern of worship involves every aspect of who you are. Among the physical expressions of worship found in Scripture, you can kneel to worship the Lord. How many of you have ever kneeled before Him? What was He revealing? What was He showing you as you knelt before Him? Clapping hands is a way that we can worship the Lord with our strength. Raising hands is one of the ways that we can worship the Lord. Raising our hands is a plea for help. You can read about that in Psalm 28. It's a way to praise the Lord. You can read about that in Psalm 63. And we do it out of desperation. Sometimes Psalm 143. You can dance if you want to. You can leave your friends behind. So it happens in the second service. Things are getting weird. We dance in celebration. We dance in praise. We dance because of restoration in our lives. You can read about that in Jeremiah 31. We respond to God and we shout in worship. It's really loud. It's emotional. And it's full of joy. The people of God also did it in battle. They raised their voices. We worship in quietness. We worship by bowing before Him. You can lay flat on your face. It's an acceptable way to worship the Lord. You can bear witness aloud. That's like, amen, brother. Preach it. Which is really important in the second service. You can worship the Lord by speaking in tongues. Praising Him. In tongues. 
You can worship the Lord by giving public testimony. You can worship the Lord by standing, which is something we ask you to do together. You can worship the Lord in spiritual song. You can worship the Lord in silence. In just a single chapter, 2 Chronicles 20, 11 different Hebrew verbs for active physical worship are found. This is not something we just do in our hearts. not something we just do with our soul and spirit. This is not something we ascend to in our minds. This is something that we physically do together. Worship includes all of us. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Worship includes all of us because we're a part of a body. I think it's really interesting, um, Paul gives this charge, really famous charge, one we've heard before about presenting ourselves, and this is your spiritual act of worship, and then he launches right into talking about how we're a part of a body, and there are different gifts operating at different levels. And I've never, I guess I've always viewed that scripture kind of isolated, maybe, from the rest of the context, but let me read it again to you. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to the world. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For the grace, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members don't all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. That is, we're connected. Having gifts that differ according to the grace that is given us, let's use them. Let's prophesy in proportion to our faith, let's serve, let's teach, let's exhort, let's contribute, let's walk in generosity, let's lead, and let's do acts of mercy, and we'll do it cheerfully. And then the very next thing is he says, love must be sincere. Love's got to be without hypocrisy. You can't fake this. You can't just tolerate the rest of the body. You have to appreciate the rest of the body. And I don't know about you guys, but Paul makes Paul says really clearly here it's going to be diverse when you get together and the goal is unity the goal is not uniformity the goal is not for you to come here as an arm and convert the rest of us into arms your goal here as an arm is to serve the body and to submit to something bigger than yourself the goal here you're the eyes is to come and serve this body, not to convert the rest of us to eyes. I know, I wish that the rest of the world were just like me. I think it'd be easier if the goal was uniformity. But it's not, it's unity and harmony. That we would submit ourselves as individuals to something bigger than ourselves. Right? And the goal for us is to be united together. To be membered to one another, to not just tolerate different people who do things differently, but to appreciate different members, different parts of the body. This is what's kind of interesting to me. I didn't notice this till I read it. Paul says not only will there be different gifts operating, but people will be operating at different levels in those gifts. So some people are going to come and they're going to lead strong. They're going to lead from the faith they've got. They're going to lead confidently. And some people are going to come And they're going to be growing in their gift to lead us in whatever it is. Some people are going to come and they're going to prophesy and it's going to be strong. It's going to be clear. And some people are going to be growing in their gift. And he seems to be saying, understand this. When we come together, not everybody is in the same spot. So he prescribes unity. Unity is your goal. Harmony is your goal, not uniformity. Let me help you understand the difference between unity and uniformity because I think that most of us are pushing for uniformity. 
because it provides a security and a comfort. I wish that everyone was just like me and understood me. Unity is a condition of harmony. Uniformity is the quality or state of being uniform. Uniformity is having always the same form, manner, or degree. Consistent in conduct or opinion. Unity will put freedom first. Uniformity puts order first. We, of course, as Christians, have a different idea about what we do with our freedom. We use our freedom to serve others. Freedom is not an opportunity for us to do whatever we want. Unity will bring a freedom. Uniformity will put order first. Unity is present when people want to obey. Uniformity is present when people are forced to obey. Unity spreads through relationships. Uniformity suppresses through rules. Unity is to be joined as one. Uniformity is to be like someone. Unity is based on trust. Uniformity is based on agreement. Unity encourages honesty. Uniformity encourages hypocrisy. Our aim, because Paul made this our aim, is unity, not uniformity. He doesn't say that there are many members to the body and you should have only one member to the body. So have that member, make every other member like them. That's not the prescription that we get from Paul. Our goal is unity together. A couple just quick um, thoughts about that is um, guard your heart from offense. Don't be so quick to pass judgment is the charge from Paul. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to. Don't do that. Don't play judge. Don't assume that you know why people are doing what they're doing. Want to know why? They don't know why they're doing what they're doing. Your heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? They don't even know why they're doing. Why would you, as a person who doesn't know them, know why they're doing what they're doing? They don't know why they're doing what they're doing. It's pompous. It's arrogant for you to sit here and decide that you know why somebody's doing what they're doing. You should think of yourself more soberly. The other thing that I want to say that's not mean is that we come together here and this is not the place to discover your gifts. We're not going to put someone on stage to discover if they can play a guitar. We're not going to ask someone to teach in order to discover if they can do it or not. This is a place to refine the gifts that God's given you. We'll find other places, other contexts for you to discover gifts and in a safe place, grab a guitar and try to lead worship. So this is, on a Sunday morning... Not the place for you to discover your gifts, but the place where recognized gifts are refined. It's just not the setting. We don't want to throw you up here in front of hundreds of people and go, I wonder. I wonder if he can teach. Good luck with that. The same things hinder all of us in worship. I hope this unites us. I hope this unites us. The same things hinder all of us in worship. Idolatry hinders all of us. Idolatry is misplaced worship. And it's not just primitive people in third world countries that have idols. We have idols. Anytime you take even a good thing and make it a God thing, you've made an idol. Anytime you take something created and put it in the place that only belongs to our Creator, you've made an idol. Anytime you take a good thing and make it the ultimate thing, you've made an idol. It becomes the weightiest thing. And this is the tricky part about idolatry. It's not just bad stuff, it's good stuff. The great evangelical idol of family. It's the weightiest thing about you. Ministry can become idolatry. And maybe the worst form of idolatry, the one that 
probably all of us suffer with is self-idolatry, where we put ourselves in that place. We are the organizing center to our lives. We're devoted to staying that way, and we make sacrifices in order to stay seated in that spot, right? In fact, I would say all idolatry stems from self-idolatry. Eugene Peterson says it this way, we want idols that We want gods that are not gods so that we can be as gods. We want gods that are not gods that we can control because we want to be as gods. Our pride stands in the way of our worship. We're all wrestling with this. There aren't some people dealing with pride and others not. Not some people dealing with idolatry and others are not. We're all dealing with these two things that hinder our worship. Let me tell you something, uh, church. Pride is your greatest enemy. It is not a virtue. It is a vice. The enemy can't keep you from connecting with God. Your pride can. The enemy cannot keep you from Him. Your pride can. Now, he will latch onto and have a field day with your pride. So it has something to do with it. But your pride will keep you from connecting with Him. Also, humility Humility is your greatest friend, your greatest ally. God will draw near to those who are humble. He will oppose you if you walk in pride. Worship confronts our pride. Week in, week out, daily, as we prescribe worship to God, it confronts our pride. It wages war on your pride. War on your greatest enemy, the thing that wants to keep you from connecting with Him. The thing that wants to keep you saying, I've got this, I'm fine, I don't need Him, I don't need this, and I don't need you. That thing, you can wage war on that thing through worship. It requires openness, which wages war on our pride. It requires forthrightness. It requires that we acknowledge our need, which wages war on our pride. And it wages war on our presentation of self. That you come here with your best clothes on, a smile, you've got your arm around your wife, even though for the rest of the week you don't have your arm around your wife. We come and we put our best self forward. And when we worship, when we really present ourselves to the Lord, it wages war on this sort of self-presentation. Worship is to be physical, vocal, and expressive according to biblical patterns. Physical, vocal, and expressive. And we are hesitant to participate in worship in these ways because of our pride. Our pride keeps us from presenting ourselves in this way. And help me, help me. If you're sitting here and you're thinking to yourself, I care about what the people around me think, help me understand what it is that you're worshiping. Help me understand if you're sitting here and you want to express yourself to the Lord, but you start thinking, I wonder what the people will think about me. It's not that you've opted out of worship. You're worshiping. You're doing it. The weightiest thing in your life is what people think about you. It's people's opinions about you. And you're devoted to it. You've literally presented yourself to them and said, tell me who I am. I can't go being rejected by you. And then you make sacrifices for it. You sacrifice connection with God. And even connection with the people you're sitting next to because you're a fraud. You're faking it. It's It's hypocrisy. It's an act. It's not just the people who are getting emotional who are acting. Come on. Jack Hayford. I'll read this quote. It's a great quote. Because of the importance of humility, years ago, I began encouraging people to become more expressive, both vocally and physically in worship. Few things challenge our pride more than the simplest summons to expressiveness. I carry no brief for orchestrated calisthenics in church as though a set of exercises made for superior liturgy. 
But I have learned that careful teaching and modeling can help people move beyond self-consciousness and challenge the adult preoccupation with self-importance so that they can experience a childlike liberty and expressing themselves in worship. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking what I'm thinking, which is like, what if it gets out of control? What are we going to do? What are we going to do if it gets out of control? And, and um, we're, we're constantly, as elders, using the criteria that Paul sets forth in 1 Corinthians 14. Is there order, edification, and intelligibility? Is there order? Does it edify? Does it build up the body? And is it intelligible? Not do you like it, but do you understand it? Those are the criteria that we'll judge, and we'll go ahead and do that. I know that we recently brought on a security team, but some of you have been a part of the security team for a really long time. You come and police what's going on, make sure that nothing gets out of hand. I would ask or invite you to trust us as elders, um, as people appointed to shepherd this flock, to go ahead and bring correction and direction to the church. So what I'm saying is that you're fired. If your job has been to police what's going on here, you should quit, get another job, because it's not even working. You're not even that good at it. That's why you're getting fired. Hey, so here's the challenge. We're going to go back into worship. And I I just want to... Not really. I just want to invite you... um, This is a safe place. You're all right. This was not a message designed to wrangle in the last four rows because the first four rows have got it. I think the first four rows are just as stuck as the last four rows. It's all become really predictable. We know what you're going to do. We know what you're going to say. You've got your way of worshiping. And so I think the person that's dancing might be just as stuck as the person who's sitting in silence. And so my invitation to you um, would be to do something you've never done before. Stretch yourself. Um, These ways of expressing our worship are thoroughly biblical. um, And this is a safe place to do it. So I'd like you to do something you've never done before. I don't know, maybe you could kneel. Maybe for some of you, you've never sat down and just kept your mouth shut in worship. And you need to do that. And maybe for some of you, you need to lay face down. Because you just need to surrender this morning. And Maybe for some of you, you need to dance. Maybe for some of you, you've never even sang. That's awesome. I'm glad you're here. I think singing is kind of weird too. We just expect that you would come together with people and sing and that might be strange. So if you've never opened your mouth and vocalized praise, do that. If you've never lifted your hands, I'd encourage you come half mass. If you have come half mass, goalposts, go for it. No one cares. Thanks for listening. We want to be a resource for you as you walk with Jesus. So please connect with us at radiantvicelia.com. Until next time. I